Nothing but news. Anthem, Borderlands 3, and Fallout 76. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square Day PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, back and alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 110. 110. Triple digits. Yeah, yeah. We've been in triple digits for a while. Oh, yeah, we have been in triple digits. (laughs) But it is triple digits, so you're you're still factually correct. I am factually correct. Man, those dogs back there, I hope y'all can't hear them. It's very annoying. Them dogs got real loud when we did. Yes, they did. It's almost like they heard us and then... Their dog instincts kicked in. But anyway, if this is your first time listening to us, we are Triangle Squared, a PlayStation-based podcast, but we do talk about everything uh, in gaming and how it pertains to PlayStation and their competition and all. If you would like to watch us video format, you can do so on YouTube over uh, every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. If you like what we're doing over there, consider subscribing and hitting the bell notification. Let you know when these episodes go live, which is every Monday and every other Friday for our reader mail segment that we do, which lets you get a little bit more personal time with us and some weird fun things. Um, If, you know, like boiling a pizza, right, Saul? Boiling a pizza. Got your boys covered on how to do that. Yeah, uh, anyway. It's an art. um, If... You don't want to watch our faces and instead would rather listen to us. You can do so by going to podcast services, be it across iTunes, Google Play Music, doesn't matter. We're on Spotify. Yeah, that's just here. But you know what? Yeah, let's leave it in there. You know what? Let's go the extra mile. That is going to fall over. I'll hold it for just a second. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you can find us in audio format only where you can miss this fun you know, thing that Saul just did. And that I'm doing currently. <laughs> Only the video people get to see that. Uh, you can find us, though, like I said, on podcast services. And if you would like to give us your thoughts on these things, of course, when you're on YouTube, you can do so in the comments. But if you're listening to us on podcast services, you can reach out to us via our social media platforms and give us your thoughts on all of the things that we talk about by going to Twitter at Triangle SQRD is our handle over there. You can join the Facebook group, which is Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Uh, ask to join, and we will gladly let you in. And if you want to join the moment-to-moment day-to-day live, of us and a lot of the other members of the community you can do so by joining the discord which we have the link for in the description below on all of these formats and lastly if you would like to support the show in any way shape or form you can do so by giving as little as a dollar to us over on patreon at triangle square or sorry at patreon.com slash nartech well we got some other stuff stirring up here soon we keep talking about it but so darn close i can smell the chicken um you may be asking why is this 20th anniversary on the table uh, it's because we're giving it away. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's because I am getting contracting work done on my house. You could all, you and can, this is in my living room. You, and you can win this by being a Patreon at the hundred dollar rank for twenty years. Okay, yeah, there you go. Get this off the table. It's dusty. Get it off. It make, is actually a little dusty. It's like gonna I said, start making me sneeze. It ain't gonna start making you sneeze. Okay. If anything, it just shows I need to dust a little bit more often up there. But hey. This is not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about us coming together every week, Saul, what and finally playing. getting to see each other because I haven't seen you or even really, really talked to you at all this week. But uh, for listeners who want to, uh, I didn't blast it out because I didn't want to just inundate his phone with uh, notifications while he was trying to enjoy himself. But Mr. Saul had a birthday yesterday yeah. on Star Wars Day. So Saul is officially uh, very tied into Star Wars. I am. And, and everything that's going to go on around it. So, Saul, what you've been doing, what you've been playing, and uh, did you enjoy your birthday? I did. I had a fun day uh, yesterday for the most part, uh, even though it was slightly boring for most people's standards. But I've only played you Destiny. you tell me you didn't get rip-roaring drunk on your birthday? Nope. Uh, we watched... Uh, I know uh, you didn't. There's a movie. Are you still on your no-drinking thing? Yeah. 
I figured. There's like a movie, uh, trying to lose some more weight, but there's a movie with Jason Bateman in it that I can't think what it's called, but it's like, uh, he meets a guy from high school or whatever. And like, he's like, he becomes a stalker. It's a really good movie. Watch that yesterday. It's an older movie. Okay. But Jason Bateman's a great actor. He is. I like him a lot. But yeah, I've not only, I've not played a lot this week. Destiny 2 has been it. Nothing. Well, this seems like, you know, what you were telling me is kind of one of those weird situations that I have not really normally gotten into bad, thankfully, but where you were mentioning that you're kind of just bored of everything. Yeah, like, I just, there's nothing I really want to play. Uh, nothing, like, there's nothing out right now that really entices me to buy it. Uh, there's nothing really that I, I have an urge to play that I have currently owned, but... Yeah, I've I've hopped on Destiny two a couple times this week, uh, and really, really just trying to grind Crucible to hit Fabled rank so I can get the Pinnacle weapons. Um, but that's really it this week. Like honestly, I normally say that's really it, and then I'll interject another game in, and uh, that's really been it. And not had the the most amazing of weeks. Brett's over here changing chairs for people on the audio podcast uh, side of things that are curious about the rolling sounds. If it's even there. Yeah, I realized I was in Blaze's chair that we have set up for the other super secret thing that we've got going on, and I don't have uh, hard floor casters on it yet, so it'll eat the floor up. Yeah. But what have, you, what have you been playing? Uh, d- essentially, Days Gone. I did play a little bit more of uh, Ori in the Blind Forest, which was really good. Uh, I need to get back to it, but I've been pretty busy with stuff going on in my house and work and just everything else that uh it's gotten to the point where pretty much with all the time i've had i've just been sinking it all in two days gone which has gotten better as the game has gone on uh and but outside of the bugs which i think if you're in our discord you can see if you're part of that days gone discussion it's got some bugs that are really unfortunate but um for the most part i think the game is really good and if anything i'm hoping and i think it's likely because the game is selling really well um I'm hoping that the game gets a sequel because I do think, depending on how the story wraps up, I'm not done with it, um, but depending on how they wrap the story up, or even if they decided to go with a different character in the next game and kind of just do what they originally talked is about with The be Last a of Us. Trilogy? I mean, or is this game going to have a sequel? I'm, nobody knows right now, or at least, or I don't. I mean, I'm sure somebody who's beaten it can be more telling of whether it'd have a direct sequel, uh, a shared world sequel, which kind of ties back to, I don't know if you remember this. When they first made The Last of Us, uh, Neil Druckmann talked about that the if there was a sequel, there's a high chance that it would not feature Joel and Ellie, and instead, it would probably be a sequel that takes place in the world, but with a new set of characters and possibly a different time period. Because, you know, from the beginning of it happening to what you play in The Last of Us as a 20-year time span, so a lot can happen in that period, whereas yeah. Days Gone approaches it a little closer to the epidemic outbreak. Um, so it's definitely possible that they get another game out of it. Uh, at least from what I know so far, and whether it be a direct sequel with the same characters or maybe even a new sequel that just takes place in the world. I do think it's interesting, and this is the second sequel, I mean, the second game from Sony now, which is a open-world game in a very true-to-the-word sense, which is uncommon uh, as exclusive games. You know what I mean? The last one we got was Horizon. Yeah. yeah, and, it, and I mean, the, Technically, and, God of War... But the world God, is of War, God of War compared. is more Bloodborne hub world style, you know, where it's like you branch off back into a thing that connects everything around. Um, whereas this game is just truly a big open map and it shares a lot of gameplay elements with Horizon in a, in a good sense, like the survival aspects and even has some things that are remnant of things like uh, Far Cry, something like that, yeah. you know. So it, it's more of a true uh, open world game than something like God of War, which had a big scope and a big feeling. Uh, and you could traverse the world just like you can in Bloodborne, how you see fit, but you will always come back to kind of a central 
idea because it's like an interwoven. Uh, it's very odd. But uh, anyway, the game's been pretty good, and I hope to see it do better as they patch uh, some of these bugs out. And I hope that, and I know a couple of users in the Discord haven't had too many. Uh, I hope that that's not a too terribly common thing. So, uh, But I guess with that, that means it's time to move over into the community's take. So if you didn't check out our episode last week, Mr. Justin Rowe, a new patron of ours, uh, thank you, sir, asked us a question in regards to uh, how essentially calling games art too often or too much can wear down when it's actually special and what games actually do try and utilize uh, their stage as an art, which versus some games that really do tend to lean more towards being a game uh, that is, I'm trying to think of the word, way to word it, but like a, a gamified game, something that's not worried so much about its artistic merit as much as it is about being a fun, good tactile experience. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So what we kind of did there uh, after we talked about that, you can hear that whole conversation about how we think that there's a good idea of a spectrum and whatnot, but you can check out last week's episode. What we decided to ask the community, though, was pertaining to last week's episode, what are examples of a game you see as art-focused, a game you see that's focused on being a game, and one that you feel melds the two beautifully? Because, of course, when you have a spectrum like we were talked about, you're going to have games that kind of fall in between, and I think it's probably true that most games fall in between, but there are great examples of games that just do on one very particular side. Uh, so, first thing we're going to do is go through our uh, Discord ones real quick. Uh, looks like Mr. Big Scantron, another patron of ours, thank you, Blake, says, uh, Art-focused journey. Uh, gameplay focused, just cause, and both Red Dead Redemption Two. I feel like those are actually pretty solid lists. Just cause always has the most ridiculous stories that are just kind of there to act as a gateway to make you play the game and experience different mechanics and things that it's doing. It's more of just a whatever tether it can find to just keep you playing the game with a motivation behind it, uh, even if it's very light. Um, and I think Red Dead Redemption 2 is a good blend of that because like I've talked about a few episodes back where I think the game had a real focus on wanting to make sure that it represented the time period that it was in very well, all the way down to the point of you can essentially just play the game and not do any of what the game is asking you to do from a story perspective. Instead, you can just live in that world and kind of do what you want. You can go fishing, bring it back, you know, cook yourself a meal. You can go to the bar and just drink for a few hours and get in bar fights with people. Pretty much anything you want. Yeah, essentially you can... Within and the limitations of the game. Of course, that still are things that tie back into gameplay, but they're more tied into feeling like you're present in the, in the game. And it's got a very big story focus, which means it is actually focused on trying to tell you something uh, that has a back-end merit that is trying to grip you in a way that's different from gameplay. Um, interestingly enough. And I'd say that that also ties into the way I felt about Red Dead 2. It's a game that I felt like gameplay-wise did not click with me very well at all. Uh, but story-wise and world-wise, I liked it a lot. So um, Liam says hard mode, not saying journey <laughs> to the art side, which is funny because, of course, Journey's a game that I think comes up more often than not. Saul, so, have you ever played Journey? I played it for a little bit when I was free, like, But you didn't year. beat it? Yeah, no, I didn't beat it. It's a very short game. You actually can play through the whole thing in probably three hours, if even that. Uh, it's a very short game. But it is a very artistically driven game, so much so that what I expected a lot of, uh, like we talked about last week, walking simulators, um, and not used pejoratively, but more so the specific thing. Those games only exist to show you a story and show you a graphical style that they're using to set up this artistic expression of what they're trying to do. They right. don't really exist to be something that pacifies you in a way that's meant to be fun and tactile like a game typically is. Um, so I expected to see a lot of those on here. Uh, 
So let's see. Blake changed his answer to that and said, Art gone home and that dragon cancer as well as Bioshock. Uh, and, you know, those are also really good examples. I actually think that those are games that... And, and he also brought up Life is Strange. That's another interesting one. Uh, let's see. Who else on here had some stuff? Uh, Mr. Kiki, another patron. Thank you, sir. Says, okay, for art, I'd say all Team Ico games, which is, I don't think anybody would really um, fight that. Yeah, you know? that. that isn't... I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. I mean, I think that is the popular opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the... One of the earliest games I saw used as a catalyst to the argument of whether games should be able to be considered art or not was Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah. And some would even go far back and say Ico, but I think Shadow of the Colossus was a very big success in such a way that it gave the question a lot more publicity and it got it more on people's minds of like, why don't we always consider art to be games? And, you know, now example it is. It's a great example. Uh, let's see. And World Den says Persona Five for art, Ico, Shadow of the Colossus, The Last Guardian, and Gravity Rush games. So again, all the Team Ico games. Uh, and I think Gravity Rush is a great example. It's a game that does care about the way it plays and has a lot of gameplay mechanics, but they're very rooted in the world and it's a you know the the way the world works, the style of the world, all that comes into another side where I think they are more focused on trying to give you something that has an artistic expression to it. Gameplay, he mentions Neo, Bloodborne, Horizon Zero Dawn, and Spider-Man, which I think are also good examples, though I think a lot of people would argue, and so I'm really curious as to your stance on this one, uh, where do you see Bloodborne and the FromSoft games? Because we have another mention from uh, Mr. Donovan over in the Facebook that I'll pull up to reference here. Um, but what what's your stance on where the FromSoft games land on this spectrum? Gameplay. More, or do you think that More. they somewhat exist on the spectrum as well? I mean... No, I would say gameplay. Entirely. Entirely. You can't really use those games to, like... Without playing the game, like, and without gameplay being the main focus of the game, you wouldn't really get that far... Uh, just now, trying to admire the world. I'll agree with you on main focus, but I do think, and I this mean, they is share some, but I'm not saying like it's it's more way more on gameplay. Yeah, well, Donovan's stance, and uh, I think it's really an interesting one. Says uh, I feel like games that have an intense story are art, but I also believe games that focus on the environment are also an art form. Sometimes even without an obvious story, like the From Software games, for example. And you know what I kind of thought about that was their approach to story is really different. And instead, what they try and do is that they try and approach everything uh, very similar to the kind of like the early Zelda style of games, where there is a very loose story that's going on but a lot of it's going on by little environmental things they're trying to make a nod to uh and i think that the FromSoft games are really good at that i think you know most of what bloodborne is i think if you ask most people who played bloodborne and i don't mean the crazy fanatic people uh, and i don't mean that in a bad way but the people who are obviously really into what's going on on the lore side i think if you ask a lot of people who played it and loved it me included I don't exactly know what's going on. I do know some, but you know, if you ask me for a full on story thing, it's not about that, but there is a clear evoking of emotional resonance from different parts of the game. So like when you're looking at, um, when you're rolling through and looking at the way that the city looks because they chose a really nighttime thing, or like even the moon presence when it comes up and is like in shadowed by the moon, they're doing a lot to try and tell you a story with specifically the world around you and not so much, the not so much dialogue and traditional storytelling mechanics that we're used to. Yeah. But I mean, wouldn't that be more considered cinematic, even though I would guess that cinematic would fit into art, but still it's like, I think so because, okay. Like another game that he mentioned on here is, uh, monster hunter world. 
And I think Monster Hunter World is a great example of blending the two because as much as Monster Hunter is geared toward the very gamified thing of, well, you have stats, you have weaknesses, you have gear level that you're going through, you have all these different things, as well as weak points and things that you're looking for on these enemies and tracking them and all these things that tie into it. That's not art. But the flip side of that is I feel like that game, and this is, of course, I'm not saying you're wrong. What's great about these conversations is they leave themselves open to kind of look at why other people view games a little differently than you, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, but where I kind of landed on that, and I think, because uh, he actually said it here, Monster Hunter World and Sekiro are more art pieces, but games like Call of Duty and the Battle Royale games are more game-focused. And no. Uh, see, here's the problem mm. with the with the question is that this is ge- this is geared towards what games were created with that as a focus in mind and the main focus, right? I mean, I guess that maybe that's a, a problem in the way that I chose to frame the question. Because like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I mean, obviously all these games have art tie-ins that make them what they are, and then have and draw inspirations from their art. Well, and, every game is going to have an art back piece, right? Or right, something but, that but can be viewed. Some as artistic. were created only for the artistical purpose to pass the story along for, with it. Sure. And like like games like Days Gone, Shadow, Ico, stuff like that, where it's meant for you to feel something due to the nature of the game and then not because of the gameplay. That's not what I would consider Monster Hunter World being. That's a that's a to me, that's a games as a service. Like I'm I could I could I could agree with you there, but uh, I think what we meant, because I even talked about it whenever he mentions that, uh, is that I think that their drive to make a world that was very beautiful and had an ecosystem that's around it, there was a clear effort that the game could have worked on the gameplay aspect but without any of that. They didn't do that for the story or for you. They did that for the the, the sake of the game, for the creatures, like. Yeah, but I mean things like. Um, but that's the. Dif- it, that's to the be fair, it, it's a very synergistic design, right? Because I think when you look at uh, something like Monster Hunter World, where they have something that's as simple as like my example of the ecosystem is like when you go into a world, you can see all the monsters rolling around doing their own thing, and then sometimes they'll interact with each other, and for better or worse, where they'll both team up on you or they'll, right. they'll fight each other. But but like you're saying, those all have a back end well, you that can, ties back around into a gameplay mechanic. Because even the, the ecosystem, real quick, even the ecosystem that's existing, and you can explain the flaw afterwards. I'm, no, not I'm just saying, saying the, the, the main flaw of this question, the way it's worded. Sure. I, I get you. But, but um, when you're looking at that, though, Monster Hunter World has that back end of, even though all those things go on to exist, what feels like a living and breathing world, whether I'm in it or not, uh, it still does exist to back around into a gameplay mechanic because even something as simple as the monsters fighting each other, which does feel very natural and like the game is taking into account the ecosystem of the world around separate from humans, it also comes back into that you as a player benefit from that because you even see it as a purposeful action of Turf Wars. You get points for that. Uh, you obviously get help in your battle for that. So it does tie back in around very specifically into a gameplay system. So I guess in Monster Hunter World's case, where we were getting is that it has a very synergistic design, but it kind of exists on both sides for that for us personally because of that. But I think you're right, uh, and you can go ahead and expound on that. I was just going to say the way you break down a game, you can make it to be however you want it to be. It's true. And like, so you can literally make it be about art for you because it's your experience, or you can make it be about the game. What I thought the, like the, the intended point of this question was that there are games that have been made with only an art focus in mind. There are games that are just normal games outside of that that can use that kind of fa- uh, mm-hmm. that factoring. One and of those... Uh, go, ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's what I figured that the question was based upon, is like games that have melded it beautifully, somebody could say Bioshock. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. I'd agree with that. Yeah, but I think Red Dead but is I think, a good example yeah, of but that. I, I think that this question is not... 
I guess the way it's worded is that UCS art focus leaves it up for subjectivity. I didn't think this question had subjectivity to it. I, I mean, because like there are games that are intended art pieces and mm-hmm. only art pieces, and there are games that you can see the art piece from, and then you can take that with you, which is what the second part of the question would be. Which the, is the, the melding or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. An example that plays more into what I think you're going to very specifically is Justin's, uh, and he, since he was the one to answer the question, I like to read his anyways. Uh, his is, Journey is definitely a game that's entire purpose is to evoke a targeted emotional response with very little focus on gameplay. Absolutely true. The gameplay only exists to further the rest of the emotional response that happens yeah. from the story. Shadow of the Colossus. And the, and the journey. Yeah. Uh, Super Stardust comes to mind at when gameplay is a central focus, and the art Stardust. certainly doesn't take center stage in this title since you're mostly fighting rocks on a sphere. And he's right. That's Okay, I was, I was like, is that the one where you're, where it's like, it's, you're on a planet and you just roll around the planet? Exactly. Like on a spaceship. Those are, those are fun games. Yeah, you know, twin-stick shooters like that, I do think that those are very much aimed more at... Um, a, a very specific gameplay side where another game that I'm surprised no one's mentioned on here and I'll, I'll finish his up. He says, as far as blending both perfectly, I think God of War is the pinnacle achievement of this balance. I think most immediate response would be the last of us, but let's be honest, the gameplay is so much more engaging and intense in God of War and that single shot camera through the entire game. Seriously amazing. Yeah. And, and God of War is the most interesting thing. So Corey, and I'm really curious as what you think about this. Corey on Twitter yeah. said God of War for gameplay. And that's, God of War to me seems to to go so much toward a game that can exist entirely as both and that you'd want to play it either way. So I guess the way I'll, I'll, I'll reframe this question, and it's unfair to the people that's answered, but I think the best way to really think about it, and I wish I would have put it that way, is to think of a game, or think of it like this. If you strip the, the other half side of the game, does the game still work? Uh, and which one do you strip that takes away keeps the game working versus if you stripped it away and used only the piece you stripped away, would it be good? So example of that would be like Super Stardust uh, Ultra definitely has an art style and things going for it. But if you strip, if you stripped away the art style of the game, it still works with its gameplay. But if you only tried to sell that game off of its art style alone with none of the gameplay, it wouldn't work. Uh, whereas for a shift in example, Journey in his situation, stripped, if, if you, you strip the gameplay, it really doesn't matter. Well, no, you, you don't even go that far. Just you, you strip everything about the game except it's you going across the desert to a destination. Yeah, bam. And, and that's what works for the game. No other mechanics that like the other players and such. So for me, I think God of War exists right in that middle area because it can do two things. I would be just as interested in God of War if it was essentially a game where all you were doing was telling me the story. Because they did a big focus on the way the game looked, worked, and that single-shot camera is a big part of that. And that's not something that really is in aid of gameplay. That's something that's in aid of the artistic vision. Yeah. Uh, I think the story definitely has a very big... The the story takes itself so seriously in a way that previous God of War games didn't that I think when he originally said God of War, Corey, I wondered if he meant the original God of War. Because while I think the game is good and definitely has some emotional response, purely a game the game. game is very driven towards feeling good right and that's really its primary focus but you can definitely see where in the new god of war it exists somewhere in the middle because the game does feel amazing to play so you could strip the story from god of war and still have a really fun game bam there you go you have something that's fun to play where if it had a a different story attached to it that didn't have as much focus it would still work and i think the story for god of war works regardless um but let's flip over to twitter see a couple of their answers and we will get moving uh saw do you already have twitter's up yeah so andrew uh said that art, uh, Mario Paint, which I found was a very hilarious answer. Uh, he says, Gameplay Gauntlet, which is also a really, really good answer. It's a um, great answer. And then Diablo exists right there alongside it. Both. Crypt of the Necromancer. Necrodancer. Yeah. 
So you've seen that game, right? I have that game. Oh, you have? I played it on Switch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have it, but it looks fun. It's it's okay. Like it's the the movement system's weird because it's dancing, but mm-hmm. um, it's like it's it's really cool. Like I didn't play a whole lot of it, but um. There was that game, and then there was another roguelike game that I got in the same same time that I played, and they both just didn't hold me for long. I wonder what the other one was. Wizard but... of something. Oh, yes. I know which one you're talking about, and I can't remember the name. Yeah, but it's yes. like you have a red jacket on. It's yep. the main character. Yeah, it's not. it didn't pull me. Uh, we have Drunk on Writing. They say Flower for Art, Pixel Junk, Monsters for Game, and then Lumines, or Luminines for both. I never like cared to like learn how to pronounce that game. Lumens? Lumens. Lumens? I don't okay. know either, to be fair. <laughs> and then, of course, Ryan, he does say Journey for Art, EDF, which is uh, Destruction, uh, Earth Destruction. Earth Defense Force. Defen- yeah, the, the bug shooting game, and that is very much driven towards gameplay. Yeah, Earth Defense Force. And then, of course, for both, he says Red Dead 2. Yeah. Another and, common answer I expected. And then, last one up on the list, new patron, Derek, he says Journey. Would be the most artistic game I've ever played. Hellblade Sensua's or Sensua's sacrifice. Yeah, I don't know why I said Sensua. Uh, Sensua's sacrifice or God of War be a good examples of blending art and gaming. True. And we said for Absolutely. God of War for the visuals and the camera, and then for Hellblade for the soundtrack and then the sound. Yeah, the which sound all, engineering in that. Which all go back to what I was talking about for to an extent. That kind of goes back to where I think it's more upfront here than it is in something like Monster Hunter World. But it's interesting how that game also focused on making sure that everything that I think escalated it as a game and i think the sound design was a huge thing towards that it it helped on both fronts right yeah it was a great gameplay mechanic that allowed you to actually realize when you should be blocking and dodging and all that but it was also something that really leaned heavily into what the story and the piece of it being a movement a moving piece um definitely a good good example and of course sanic sanic under the twitter moniker i am sanic he said (laughs) That's Blake. Uh, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> I know exactly who that is. He said the same thing he said in Discord. So we've yeah. covered Drew's Blake. All right. Well, that is where we are with the community's take. So thank you for those. Sorry, I think I wish it's something I'm still trying to get into the rhythm of. Uh, I'm going to start trying to figure out how to word those questions the best way possible. But we appreciate the answers, and I'm glad that we had uh, some fun discussions around it. If y'all have any other things y'all want to bring up uh, in relation to how we've talked about where if you strip them away, feel free to shoot them over at us or whatever. But uh, thanks, Saul. It's time for you to drop into that hot. No, it's not, because as of right now, there is no drop. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I don't know if it's because possibly the stuff going on with uh, Star Wars Day and all the stuff that was leaking, they, they sure. couldn't predict something, but I don't know. As of our recording, there is no drop. I, I went through it, I'm like... To be fair, a week, if, if if this is truly a week with nothing to release, that's actually not a bad thing, in my opinion. It's not, no, but... Uh, you got to slow down a little bit. It sometimes. had the end is nigh in there, and I remember talking last week, I'm like... That you feel like that yeah. was a game that you saw. And then I, saw, I was like, wait a second. I was like, didn't this just come out? And then I saw Fade to Silence. I'm like, this is the this is whole week. Like, this is not new. So, yeah, no drop as of All now. Right, cool. Well, then we will go ahead and move into news. And what we're kind of doing in this episode, I think we uh, somewhat... Uh, you know, hinted at that in the cold opening. But what's going on is that we don't really feel like there's one great thing that we feel like talking about uh, as a main topic. So we've had this happen one other time. And what we kind of did was just a random episode where we kind of covered whatever the heck we wanted to. Uh, but I think what we're going to do on this is just really expand and spend a long time, a long time on the news in every segment uh, that, you know, sometimes we'll, because we are, we tend to have a time limit that we have to stick with or technical difficulties or technical difficulties like last week, which we hope was still a good episode for you guys. It was uh, a little bit wearing the second time around until we got to that main topic. I think yep. you tell from Saul's me- that, well, if demeanor. You see, if you see me looking this way, I am like eyes on 
uh, all of our levels to make sure that we do not fade out again. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, to like, make sure we don't fade to silence. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I'm gonna make sure that uh, um, that we don't do that. And since there's not a lot going on this week in terms of like topic news and stuff like that, so we're just gonna cover some things in the news for a little bit longer than what we have. And this is gonna kind of take place of our topic. It kind of stretched us out a little bit because we thought about doing some more personal stuff, but. We all may we may save that for our new project, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, first thing up in the news, and Saul, we can do this. However, if you want to take one and me take one, no, or I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll let you take them. We'll do them. Uh, first thing up, though, uh, considering that Star that Star Wars Day was yesterday and Saul's birthday yesterday, uh, one thing we did learn from that during the May the Fourth Be With You celebrations is that Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the uh, EA game from Respawn, will have its first gameplay reveal at E three twenty nineteen. Now, I think it's important to an extent to say here, E3 has already said, you know, E3 or EA is not part of EA, E3 traditional, like the, the proper E3, but what they do instead is have their event that happens right before it, right? which is their EA play event. It happens Sunday, the same day as Microsoft, right? Yeah, I think so. So, uh, But it happens before the rest of the week kicks off, maybe. Right. So, but, um, just so you guys know, speaking of E3, we are planning on streaming a majority of E3 still this year, uh, thanks to Sony not having one. We still plan on that. For Microsoft, Nintendo, Square, EA, whatever it may, we may be able to get to Ubisoft. But it will be under the Nartech gaming branding instead of uh, the, the traditional, you know, we always save Triangle Squared for specifically the Sony one. And that, yeah, there is no Sony one this yeah. week or this year. So. so what's interesting about that, and there's something else to tie into this, is that I feel like this is going to be a pretty deep dive because if you remember, EA have announced that they're not going to be doing a normal showcase like they've done in recent years, like most people do at E3. Uh, and instead of having a keynote where they go through all these different things and announce, instead what they're going to do is just have multiple hour stream things where they go through each game and have a big sit down with them, look at them, and then answer a lot of questions, show off a bunch of different things. And I would not be surprised to see if there's a developer there as well to talk about some of these things where they'll just really deep dive into some of these games. And I think that that's probably the best thing they can do for Star Wars Jedi right now because of the fact that EA is just, they've got a lot of balls up in the air in some negative places and some positive places. And we'll talk about that coming up. Um, but I think when you look at that, uh, EA need to give this game as much attention and also address the concerns that some people have had that they've already tried to quell by saying that there'll be no deal, like no uh, microtransactions in the game or anything like that. So I think that this is a good choice for that. And I'm also excited to finally see true gameplay. When we saw a hint of what gameplay is, somewhat going to look like based off the trailer but saw any thoughts on that i'm kind of excited and i we talked about it like two episodes ago where uh, i'm kind of excited to see what the lore is in the game but where it lands where it lands yeah so do you feel like you're going to see some of that from here or do you think that's going to be something they really say think, for the game well i think um we already get the timeline idea it's in between three and four i almost want to said five but yeah three and four mm-hmm. um but i will say like the lore in it like Depending on how, like, do I get to go get my own kyber crystal and make my own lightsaber? Yep. That'll be cool. Like, I want to see some of that stuff. I doubt we'll see that at E3, but I'm sure we'll get something to pull me more in. Because a CGI trailer doesn't do nothing for me in video games anymore. It's just like, it's cool to see, and it's cool to see the character, but, like, yeah. I'm not excited over that. It's There's, it's exciting in the sense of, like, in the moment in excitement, where it's like, oh, well, this looks cool. Yeah. But as soon as it's done... Because of the way that games and even some movies have done, you get to that point where you remain skeptical because it's like, well, they ju- they chose to do this as a CGI thing. So, oh, Lord, I just saw. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 
But um, yeah, I think that that's going to be an interesting one. And I'm with you on the Kyber Crystal thing because I thought about that. Does it, and this is just a theory. From what we saw in the trailer they've shown so far, doesn't it look like the the lightsaber that they've shown as the promotional piece for a lot of this is going to be a different lightsaber that maybe somehow they're going to have it pulled out to where he just has an opportunity because it's there or maybe it's going to call to him. I really hope it doesn't something. do that because he does not look like a Jedi. He doesn't. Yeah, he looks traditional. Like he, yeah, he I looks... Mean, to he, be fair. Well, he has a job. It looks like exactly. he's doing something else and not being a Jedi. So. But doesn't this look like... I'm trying to think of the, the idea behind this. Doesn't this kind of remind you of like the whole... Anakin slash uh, uh, what's what's his mom's name? I don't know why I can't think of it right now. Um, uh, as starts with whatever. a uh, yeah, yeah. It's not that. Um, but anyway, whenever he's uh, Anakin, no, I, I think it's something. Look, you're going to, have to look it up. Um, oh, Shimmy, Shimmy, Shmi, Shmi, yeah, Shmi Skywalker. That's right. Um, anyway, whenever you think about that situation, it's like the whole thing about Anakin is that he didn't look like a Jedi or anything like that, but he becomes one anyway. And I think this movie is going to try and tie back into that, or this movie, this game is going to try and tie back into that idea of the unsuspected Jedi. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the, okay, that ties back into what the new movies are doing, right? With Ray. It's like, she's not really what you expected out of the Jedi. And she's not somebody that you're looking at and like going through, but it's like, Technically, that's her all we've ever seen, though. Strum- her, yeah, that's true, too. Like but her Luke, life strum- stumbles into it to an extent. You yeah, know I mean? Luke, Anna, uh, Annika, Anakin, Luke, mm-hmm. Leia, all of... Ray. I don't know why I can't say Star Wars names right now, but Lu- Ray, Luke, Anakin, all those people so far, we've seen their origin stories of becoming a, a, a Jedi. They're not traditional. Like, so it seems like it ties into it, right? Because yeah. w- how often do we see other Jedi uh, origin stories? We don't really. You know, yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, aside from like extended universe stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't like uh, Darth Bane was a minor. Yeah, like he. he, he so, but he I do in, feel uh, like that ties into the the DNA of Star Wars, then, right? Of well, yeah, taking people about. from un or circumstances you wouldn't expect, you know, mundane circumstances, and pulling them into a life of grandeur in a weird way. You know what I mean? Right. So that one's interesting. Next up, uh, Rage Two has gone gold ahead of its May Fourteenth release, and it does have PS4 Pro uh, uh, enhancements as well. Uh, so if you are looking forward to that, the only downside to this, and I really, I'm not trying to do uh, gang up on Days Gone because I enjoy it, and I think it, it's unfortunate that it ended up coming out the way that it did uh, with all these different things. Uh, but it going gold. Doesn't really do much, and if anything, Saul, this is going to bring us back to our long-running physical versus digital uh, argument, and it comes down to this. A game like Days Gone is a game that went gold weeks, weeks ahead uh, so they can get it out to reviewers and all these things, but what's crazy is that if you really look at it, Days Gone on disc has no real purpose of coming out because Days Gone on disc, from everything that we know, is a version of the game that barely works. Yeah, it's the same version of the game that reviewers got that had to have multiple patches before we even got to release date. By the time that we were on release, we were on version one point zero three, so that was the third patch from when the time that it went gold and went out into reviewers' hands. Uh, and I think that's an interesting point because if you're going to have a physical disc that essentially requires you to have the internet to play the game anyway in a station in a fashion that's actually playable, then what to an extent is really the purpose of putting it on disc. The only hope you could really Collection have on your shelf. 
Yes, and, that, and that's the only purpose it serves, right? Because the only way they could come back and really fix this is if the game does well enough and has DLC and they come back with a Game of the Year edition, which is not going to happen, but uh, that has the uh, patched version of the game on disc instead of the non-patched version. You know what I mean? Game of the Year edition. Well, so, I mean, but this game is not going to get Game of the Year. So, I mean... I, no. It, so. And I really, as much as I enjoy the game, I, I don't think it's going to get Game of the Year from anybody. It's just, it's not... Well, don't, don't games do that anyways, like where, like... Arkham City or Arkham Asylum got Game of the Year, which probably for that year probably was the Game of the Year, mm-hmm. but it got... Well, it got some, right? Because there's so many Game of the Years yeah. that as long as you so get like, one... all it needs one, and then they'll come out with a Game of the Year edition. But I don't think this game gets didn't, Game of the Year from did, anybody. Didn't Horizon come out with a Game of the Year edition? Um, I, It was the complete edition. I don't complete think it was considered... Edition. Well, that's probably because it had DLC. That's probably what they'll end up doing. So if this has DLC, which we don't know, if this has DLC, there's a chance for them to do that. Right, yeah. but that's the only way that having a disc will affect the game being playable day one, right? And the other thing is this: is that I'm not going to try and project that onto Rage Two, uh, but I think that Days Gone coming out in such a state, sadly, uh, is going to potentially like kind of get a lot of people who specifically rely on physical releases, be it because they don't have internet or whatever the situation may be. Uh, I think it may keep them from getting these games potentially even ever. If if the game comes out in a situation like Days Gone, can you imagine if you're somebody who has absolutely no way at all to download a patch for a game? Yeah, you you're, pick you're up done. Days Gone, wasted you go sixty dollars, can't even play. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm also putting you at fault there for living in a place that has like no internet or something because that's just the future. Um, but yeah, like it sucks and it's not you know it's not. Right, like, but like I said, it's one of those things. It's like even in examples or metaphors or any kind of situation of talk like this. It's like, well, you live in a spot like where your phone can do Wi-Fi, like, and people have done that. Who was it? Donovan that did that? <laughs> that would do. Uh, I think it was Corey. Corey, that's that's what it was. Yeah, Corey that would hotspot, would hotspot his, his console. His, yeah, because his city didn't offer internet. Um, but yeah, it's just like up until this is all a, a problem beyond gaming that it gets solved, then yeah, you're gonna have a problem. Yeah, I think the other thing is is that for all the downside the Days Gone releasing on disc and the fa- and the way that it did could have is that uh, some of the negativity that the game has faced from not only a critical standpoint because it was re- it was reviewed in a copy that was essentially broken. When you think about it in that situation, I think what ends up being a good side of that is that hopefully other publishers and developers and whatnot see this, and it really comes down to the publishers. But hopefully they'll see this and really think. Can, does pushing two more weeks as much as we don't want to do, does pushing two more weeks back to make sure that we get the version of the game that's going to be completely playable onto a disc, is it important? And if it is going to be important, as, as far as we know, PS5 will still have a physical disc drive. Something's going to have to happen to where games don't get released on disc in a, state, in a, in a fashion that you potentially can't even beat it. Or right. if you can, it takes a lot of going through crashing and things like that. Um, for anybody who, I'm sure a lot of you at least will know who he is, but Colin Moriarty, he did his uh, review on the game, and he mentioned that the game would crash on him often in the earliest days before they got the first patches out when he was trying to do it. And can you imagine trying to actually play through a game? <coughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Can you imagine trying to play through a game like that if you were the consumer 
that got that disc and you didn't have a way to change anything about it, or for some reason the patch is coming too slow and you're just trying to play a game that you spent your money on and you're hitting this wall of the game crashing or having problems where you're falling through the levels and all these bugs and how what level can it really affect you. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but I hope that not only Bethesda have been aware of that and thinking about that, but I hope all publishers to an extent, including Sony in this particular situation, uh, really try and push games back as much as possible to accommodate these issues. But also there is that kind of thing where there's a Jason Schreier article in relation to Anthem where he said, sometimes it doesn't matter how much time you give a game. It's never going to change the way you almost have to give them a a drop down dead date so that they at least get a main idea together and go, well, this is what we, we have to release by here. So all these grand ideas that we have that we haven't been able to work in yet, you got to scrap them for now and go and work towards getting a product out. Which is crazy because even they even had one delay with that. Yeah. Like where I don't know how much obviously we don't know the development of the game, but it's they even delayed it and it still launched. Mm-hmm. That's why and Days Gone the same thing. Do you remember that they delayed it to give it extra time to polish, and then we still got a release when when the Days Gone teaser came out like two months ago, and we talked about it on the show again, and I said that there was an amount of jank in that trailer. Mm-hmm. That I didn't notice. Yeah, it was like, well, there's one I had to show you after the show, like where the zombie jumped on his back, but like spun mm-hmm. around or something. I'm like, the game's not going to release in a good state if that's in your release trailer. Yeah. Like, if that's in your release trailer and it's a $60 game, I'm iffy about your game right then in there. Yeah, fair um, enough. And the game came out and proved what I was thinking, like, in my mind, like, right. It was like, I don't... Like, yeah, uh, unfortunate, yeah. But, yeah. but see, as much as... I, and I tried to champion the game in a cautious way. I've, I've always said that I hope it's a good game for them. I never said it was going to be a full fire, you know, smash. And what's funny is it's still selling very well regardless, is. which I'm is sure, a weird like, thing. But. I'm sure the contents of the game outweigh the technical difficulties. But in my for, experience, yes. Yeah, for me, yeah. though, it's like, if I want to get really immersed in this game and then to fall through the level or to have frame rate drops or, or for whatever it could be, it's just not worth $60 until some of it is ironed out. Once a if good you can portion wait. of it is ironed out, yeah. And then, the, then mm-hmm. the gameplay and then seeing a horde for the first time and, and setting up traps, if that'll outweigh the technical difficulties, I'll be fine with the game. Yeah, but and until it'll, the end, it'll just, remain more impactful because yeah. you're not dealing with the frustration that comes I'm not going to look back on the game and think, oh, I had a terrible time because of the frame rates. I'm gonna, and, and that's not, for me, how I will think about replaying a game. I won't think about it and say, oh, well, yeah, that was fun because of the hordes. I'll look back on it saying, oh, well, this game had frame rate drops and stuff. It's probably fixed now, but I'm not going to waste my time on it now. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, next thing up, while we were talking about EA and Anthem, uh, Anthem developer BioWare have moved most of its key staff at the Edmonton branch over to work on the studio's next upcoming game, Dragon Age 4, uh, stirring concerns that the developer and EA are leaving Anthem to die. One of the reasons that people are looking at this and thinking about this is this comes on the, the back of, excuse me, the Anthem matchmaking, and I don't know I don't know how much you remember about Anthem from your time with it, but uh, certain parts amount. of the games require you to matchmake yeah. with other players. You can't free play by yourself, yeah. but some of the things that you've got to do in the game require you to free play. So what's going on right now is that matchmaking is starting to take a hit as more and more players fall off due to the updates slowing down and the it's, roadmap it's being hard pushed. For to find games. Exactly. So, you know, that all makes sense. But despite all of that, BioWare insists that the Austin, Texas branch of their studio have come into the fold and are taking charge for releasing future contents and updates for Anthem. Now, something that Saul and I have talked about a lot and even in reference to Anthem uh, that I think is a really important potential, and that I'll make sure we say that, um, is that this could be a blessing in disguise in the same way that Destiny 1 and 2 
released in very not not as bad as this states but states of people going and this game isn't really for me it's not enough not enough content or it has problems whatever it may be Uh, and then they come back later after a prolonged absence and the live team takes over and says guess what now we're at a point we're reworking a large chunk of the game. Game's going to work differently. We have new story stuff they can go into. And what it ends up doing is reinvigorating the entire game because a different team with a different perspective and a fresh set of eyes get their, get their hands on it. And I think when you look at most of what BioWare's problems seem to be from that uh, Jason Schreier article uh, on the back end of this is that you had a team of developers who were saying no in terms of looking at any other game. And early on, I'm sure you remember me saying this, that the benefit that Anthem had over Destiny and The Division was that they're getting to come out on top of a genre that's already now been defined. But what what we learned is that that didn't matter because the people at the Anthem's crew, or at least the people that were involved with a lot of the decision-making process, refused to let people mention those games as something that you'd want to try and look forward to for inspiration in terms of what to do that has been considered done right and what to do at launch that they did at launch that's considered to have been done wrong. Instead of looking and trying to learn from their contemporaries, they just put themselves in a bubble. Right. So what happens whenever you move this over to a new team over in Austin and get people with a new set of eyes and maybe the people who were in charge of the decision making, making all those weird things of don't look at other games, don't compare us to Destiny, don't compare, we're our own game, don't look at those at all. What happens when you get a group of people that might be able to say, this is what we need to fix about this game that would make it more similar to those games in a, in a good way or make it work in a way that works with that game but still be unique and, and, and whatnot. And you could give the chance of coming out with a game that fixes all these, or not coming out with a game, but coming out with an update that fixes all of these problems and hopefully revives the game just like they did with Final Fantasy fourteen and things like that. Uh, but do you have anything to add to that, Saul? No, yeah, like I still wish the game well. Considering you know a lot of people are still are still trying to play it, and you um, bought it, <laughs> I still yeah I bought it. But for me, it's just one of those things. It's like, well, if the game falls flat, then it falls flat, and we only have the developers to shame for that and to uphold. And from now on, you know, with games like this that are coming out, just be sure to wait a couple of days and see how the game's working. Don't spend sixty dollars on the release of the game if you don't think you'll like it. Even if the beta, like I should have known. That the beta was essentially the full game. It was just cut. And then we were, Sadly. We, were we were both blinded, and we were just like, they'll have this fixed in the beta. But it was and, also, but the beta was fun. And when you're thinking of it well, from a beta standpoint, you're like, okay. Except for the frame rate drops I constantly had. That I don't think well, and had. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. And I don't know why. I really don't understand that one. But outside of that, I think the rest of what we saw was potential, and this is just a beta, and it seemed like it was all online issues. But obviously it was not. Yeah. And that's one of those things that's just, you know, life lesson learned. Yeah, but you would hope that whoever is in charge at BioWare and EA have, will look at these other games finally and say, Destiny was able to turn itself completely around with one big update. We can do one big update as a last chance. And they've effort. done it twice in Destiny 1, Taken King, and in Destiny 2, Forsaken. Exactly. And uh, No Man's Sky has had one update change everybody's opinion on it. Not everybody's, but a lo- enough, enough, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think Final Fantasy fourteen came back and said, we're going to come back with one brand new thing and going to change everything in a way that works. And it ends up working itself out. And I, I hope that somebody would just take the, the time to sit there and look and say that Anthem doesn't have to be a dead IP. Anthem doesn't have to be a dead game a few months outside of launch. What you can do to fix it is just put one team on it, 
with a different view set. Say, do what you want to to the game from here on out. Make the game that you think is going to, you know, improve on the game in a way that you think will make the game work best for the people who want to play it. And you might, might, real small chunk of percentage there, but they might be able to turn this around. Yeah. So I agree. I hope hope that's what happens. Speaking of games that may have turned themselves around, may uh fallout 76 is patch nine releasing the day after this episode goes live so tuesday uh aims to add some interesting new features first player owned vending machines are being added to allow players the ability to assign items from the stash whether they crafted them or found them um to a vending machine with a special a specified cap price uh what's weird about this is that the game will implement a 10 percent tax from each transaction and I'm curious as to why. They don't go into anything else. It'd be interesting if they were trying to actually create an ecosystem where that tax went into something that would affect the game elsewhere. But it doesn't make sense. Why are you just taking it because of the convenience of you being able to sell it that way? This isn't the real world. There's not a real government that needs a tax. And this is also, a, first of all, there's also a post-pandemic thing. Is it supposed to pretend to be the charge for letting you use a vending machine? It's an odd game mechanic. It is. And I would be more at ease with that particular part if they'd explain what the tax is for is it going to go into something wouldn't it be kind of cool if they decided to add like a lottery thing in the game where essentially every time that you sell an item it takes a tax that tax is sent over to a thing that controls into a big lotto fund and then by the time that you're done or whatever you can it's kind of like a monopoly you know how every time you pay taxes in monopoly a lot of people will do put the money in the middle and whoever lands on free parking gets all the money in the middle and I it's a house have rule never done that yet. really it's a house rule you don't have to do it um but that's a fun idea, and it's a weird game mechanic that might bring people in in an odd way, right? So if they could pull that off where the 10% tax is put into a thing and there's something you can do to get entries into this lotto, then you can essentially – everybody would have the ability to go, now I have more of a, uh incentive to sell my items this way. I have – more of an incentive to even look and try and play the game so I can get whatever this item is that gives me a chance to win this lotto. But that also may make other people mad depending on how it affects the ecosystem. But it's an interesting idea. Uh, The other side of that, though, one of the other new features that they're doing is the Legendary Exchange Machine. This is kind of interesting. Allowing you to take unwanted legendaries and turn them into a new resource called Legendary Script with which you can take to a new NPC called the Purveyor, and you can use it as a currency to buy legendaries, which will rotate. So this is kind of like a really weird take on Xur, but in a kind of more interesting way, uh, and allows you to kind of have more of a reason as to why you'd want to get rid of them. Because, like, you know, Destiny right now, when you look at it, um, is a game where Xur exists, but you and he also has his own special currency, but you don't get that currency well, necessarily from de- tearing down guns, or do you? I'm trying to remember. No, he has legendary shards now, but in Destiny 1, it was strange coins. That's right. So now you actually can tear apart legendary guns and spin your shards on them, right? Yeah. Okay. So that goes back in. This is a way of where Fallout 76 is taking inspiration from another game. Oh, it's weird. That, putting it that into itself update, in a way that's unique. It's a weird that an update they're implementing in the game is about buying things and selling things. Yeah. When there's other problems with the game. I don't know. I don't know where the game's at right now. Oh, I know there's other problems with the game. Yeah, I don't follow that closely. Me and Joe were talking about that the other night. Yeah, I I wonder if any of the people that in the Discord were originally playing it and liking it have gone back at all. If you have Blake, Donovan, anybody else that I may be skipping out on, let me know. I think uh, Liam and Sarah played it. Uh, If y'all have gone back to it and it's better, I'd be curious as to why you think it's better too. Uh, Let us know. Uh, One of the things I thought was interesting about that is that this is a feature 
that goes into a game I used to play online all the time uh, called Silk Road Online. And I've mentioned it uh, for a lot of different things. I think it has a lot of really cool game mechanic ideas that I think other games could borrow from and improve upon and do something really interesting. Um, but that game, the what you could do, any item that you had that you picked up, however it was, if you bought it, whatever it was, you could set up what's called a player-owned stall. Now, what was weird about it uh, is that there was like a, a double play to it. You would have to be logged in for your stall to be up, and your character couldn't do anything else because you're sitting at your stall. So what most people would do is wait till they were going to get off, set up a stall, put it up there, put all your items up there, and you can sell you you can say however much you want for them. Then you can just go to sleep and leave your game logged in, and the game considers that to be activity, so it won't log you out. And what you could do is when you wake up, you'd see if all your items sold or not. That's that's such a like an archaic system, but I liked it because it was like a more personable and more interesting and server-based idea of kind of what the idea behind the, um, um, what was it called? The, in Diablo three, uh, the auction house. Auction, yeah. It, it's, it's essentially the same idea, but with now, without auctions, you can just determine what you want to sell it for. But on certain servers, people think more items are worth more because they use them more. Uh, so they'll go up in value or if there's a scarcity of them, they'll go up in value. So create like a small personal thing. You don't have to do it that way. And the game could have easily said, well, we're just going to make an auction house. And, and Fallout 76 could do the exact same thing, right? But well, it is an interesting idea. And there are things in like, of course, this is a, a true to scale MMO, but Final Fantasy 14 has the message board or market boards. And you could literally like, so I remember I watched a YouTuber on those how to under like how to fully understand those because he was basically talking about how how so close it is to an actual real economy, uh, the way you shop and you buy and the way prices are set and what you should sell it and something like that could be implemented too uh, instead of these machines, right? Like you well, yeah. sell them. Another game that kind of goes off probably something similar to what you're talking about is uh, RuneScape's Grand Exchange, uh, and it was the same basic idea, right? The Grand Exchange acts as a entire game across all servers it links into all servers any player can go into they can put an item up for sale on the grand exchange or they can buy they can put an item up for buy so what they can do is say well this is what i'm looking for and this is how much i'm willing to pay for it and it'll tell you the average price it's going at the moment and you can decide to give more or less if you want to try and get lucky and get something at a lower price uh, and eventually if somebody sells the item at that price point They'll give it to you, and if it's sold for less or more, whatever it is, if there's a difference in how much they ask for versus how much you put up, you'll get your difference back in gold. But what what that does is because it's server-wide and it looks at what everybody looks at from a need. like So the way RuneScape works, there's different worlds that have a level capacity, but the Grand Exchange takes a place along, uh, across all of not only the free-to-play server, but also the member servers and everything so that every player has access to a central selling hub. That's kind of cool. And what it does is that the RuneScape page, you can log into it and go into it. You can look at the Grand Exchange for any item and you can actually see its previous 90 days, previous 180 days. You can go back almost as far as you want and you can look at what kind of path it's had. So what people will do with that is take the money that they have that they make in the game from whatever it is, and they'll essentially do investments. They'll look at items uh, that are selling really well because there's a high need for them for whatever purpose. Um, and what they'll say is, okay, this item's doing big. For some reason, everybody's into uh, fletching right now, which is making bows and stuff. So what I'm going to do is buy uh, bowstrings, and I'm going to buy them when they're at an all-time low. And sell them. Or out. when they're at a low, a low for, you know, yeah. for a 90-day low. And then when, inevitably, because of the way all markets work, it's going to eventually shift back up. And if it's a risk-reward thing. Because the longer you can hold out, there's a higher chance they reach a new high. And you can 
buy a bowstring for nine gold and sell it for 32 gold. And you and you think about that. If you have a thousand bowstrings and you just did that, you made a ton of money. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's also a way that they could have worked that in. I, it, it's weird because they go into a little bit more into it on the uh, post, but it's like, this makes your camp exist in everybody else's world in the weird way of where like your camp will show up on their map. Once you set up a vending machine and they can hover over it and see what items you have for sale and all that. I do agree. I think it's an interesting idea. and It may be a step in an interesting direction for the game, but it seems weird that it's a, a, a big patch major focus. Can you control our nukes go in that game? I don't know. I if do you not can, know. isn't that like a big issue? Like you can literally <laughs> find out people's camps. Well, see, if there would have been the back end information of the reason they went with this is because somebody te- it would force you to have better camp uh, security would be cool. What if somebody could break into your thing and break into your vending machine and take your items if you didn't have good enough camp security? That would be cool on my end, just because I would like literally if I ever played that game or bought it, which that's not the cards right now, but I would like try to sneak in and steal things. Exactly. So right, and then if you set your camp up, it would reinforce base building, like you did in a good way online. Every time I every time I turned around, Brett was running from guards. Because he had sticky fingers. I was trying to see how how much the game was really like real Elder Scrolls. You had to do that a hundred times? Yep. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be cool, right? Have systems in there that reinforce other parts of the game. This doesn't seem to reinforce anything. But it's still an interesting idea. Definitely, the, I actually do like the idea of getting rid of... Right now, if you just have the game before this, and you're just looking at it, and you have all these legendaries you can't do anything with, what's the point? At least now... You can either sell them in a vending machine to someone who may want them or the legendary machine that they're doing where you can put them in and get a, get a currency back. It's a good way to make people get rid of guns they would otherwise wouldn't want. It still makes people want to pick up items because they can put them in there and potentially go towards and buy a specific one they want. It, it makes a lot of sense in that route. Uh, I think the vending machine idea can definitely be expanded on upon better, whether they wanted to do a global system or... If they wanted to set it up to where A, nukes could be steered towards where you wanted to. And again, that ties into base defenses. Uh, all these weird things, or if you wanted to let people sneak in or try and break down your defenses for your your camp so that they can get in and take stuff from you, that would be a cool idea. Uh, we've done that. Are we? I don't think that we ever did it with you, but we talked about it on Minecraft, setting up your own version of that and letting two people exist with two encampments when they're all playing and then have people sneak back and forth around and try and take items without being seen. Realms never came to PS4, did it? No. Nope. Sadly, man, like I, I've actually like if I it had, did, I downloaded Minecraft. I think we were talking about it, like last week. Yeah, um, and I played a little bit of that like last week or the maybe even the week before. Yeah, I think you're and, right. And there was just like me and Andy might start playing that together. Like it would be so cool to be able to have like everybody in on one world doing their own roles, roles and stuff. But see, then, Hannah would probably do that. What's so interesting, Hannah played Minecraft with us back in the day. Whenever me and Jonathan used to play, it'd be me, Jonathan, uh, Hannah, and Bree, or whoever was good, Jonathan's girlfriend at the time. We'd kind of just do that and roll in and play the game, and it was fun. And Minecraft had expanded so much these days that why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? So, anyway. Uh, next thing up, Borderlands 3 gameplay. Did you get to catch it? I did. It looks pretty solid. It does. It looks a lot like Borderlands 2. <laughs> it does. And actually, the, a lot, what a lot of people said is it's uh, a really, really refined Borderlands 2. Uh, so we'll get into that though. The notable additions to gameplay that were shown were a crouch slide, which I love. I never understood why the game didn't have that to begin with, or at least two, right? Um, or even the pre sequel. Any, any first person shooter game has to have crouch slide. I agree. Um, and better. the ability to climb ledges in game, also good for general traversal, make the game feel less dated and a little more fluid. Of if you're going to have all these open worlds, let me traverse them in a way that feels good. 
That's awesome. You can set up environments too to allow you to do that in cool ways. Yep. Uh, on top of that, the solo play is a more viable option this go around than it has been in previous games. Uh, with co-op still obviously a big uh, part of the game, but now you have the ability to turn loot sharing on or off for players. So uh, if you're online and playing with each other and me and Saul are going, the game will actually drop loot that only they see on their screen and only I see on my screen. Very similar to what Diablo does. Destiny. Diablo 3 and Destiny as well. Um, to me, that's a great thing because if you have two people that are both very good, I will say they though, can do their own thing. But if you're also wanting to pull a player, like not that this would be the situation, but say you were really good at Borderlands 3 and I sucked at it. Or if you were playing with Annie or somebody who didn't really play it and they just wanted to play it, you could loot share with them and they would actually benefit from you getting certain kills so that they could hopefully get better gear to work on getting better. Yeah. You know? I think that having universal loot is like a fun thing. Like it's like chaotic fun. Yes. And I wish that for the same reasons I think as you're talking about where it's like a race to see who picks yeah. the item up and who gets what and, and then, then bargaining of who's going to drop it so that you can actually get it. Yeah. And then be like, nee, 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 nee. I got your sniper rifle. I don't even snipe. <laughs> have you ever played, uh, have you ever played an MMO that has a, uh, need greed or, um, Final Fantasy fourteen. Does it? Okay, I didn't know pass. if it did. Need, yeah. need a greater pass. Yeah. It's been so long since I've played an out of, MMO. Out of context there. Or out of, I mean, out of context. Uh, out of... Uh, Topic? No, I was what just going to say, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. But yeah, an example of that, I use greed pretty... Or no, um, pass pretty much. Unless it's something I need, then I greed it. But I don't ever hit... Like people will say, hit well, if you greed. need it, you hit need. If you greed it, you if you just want it because yeah. you want it, you hit greed. Or you can pass if you want to be the cool guy that goes, ah, you know, it's, I have no use for that at all. Um, but I love that system, right? Because what will end up happening is it's like a weird back end thing where you you're, you and your friends will be talking and you'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on it, or I'm just gonna greed it, and then you'll be like, wait, it says that you needed it. <laughs> I don't think Final Fantasy fourteen tells you what they It did. doesn't? Okay. I don't think so. Unless there's a back-end way of seeing it. I, th- I can't remember what game it was. There was a MMO that I played that had that system to where I would do that all the time. I would just say need it on everything. But that was when I was young and kind of a butthole. Um, all right, a couple other things. And one of these is something I think Saw was really odd on. But uh, uh, last thing that's like on the gameplay side of things, what you could guess from the trailer is that you actually can travel to different planets. Uh, no surprise there. And it's actually a really cool way to expand upon that. Uh, so that's cool. Hope that we get a lot of really interesting environments. Bet we will. Yeah. Um, there will be no loot boxes of any kind, but there will be cosmetic items available to purchase. Uh, there was a weird misunderstanding on that and uh, kind of got some weird twitter crucifying going on but um that is where the game has landed a new thing that was talked about that i know saul had a uh, an opinion on and i'll kind of let him run it once i say it but a new feature that was talked about was the potential to earn some in-game loot by watching twitch streamers play the game via a new extension on twitch called echo cast that links in with your gearbox shift account with your twitch um saul what was your general thoughts on that i didn't like it i don't like I don't like it when there are primarily online games and they tailor towards streamers once because they typically are going to do what the streamer wants, even if it's not something that's for the good of the game, because they are essentially being a free advertiser for the game for You've, hundreds of thousands of people. You had an example. No, of, there's been things in Destiny 2 that have been changed because streamers wanted it and it nobody was. else did and Bungie changed it. It's been since fixed. But I will say it's really, it's just, it's, it's, no. No, don't incorporate streaming, like, don't incorporate that into a game like this. It doesn't belong. And it's not fun, like, for me, it's not, I I don't want to watch a streamer to get, to have a chance to earn loot. That shouldn't be something that would incentivize me to watch a streamer. 
I'd rather want to watch a streamer because of their personality. Yeah. Where uh, now there's a now it's like a it's like a back end thing where you could hate the streamer, but you have this back end potential incentive in your mind. Like, but but I need to watch him because there's a chance well, I can get this one item. Think of all the people who are going to influx the stream the views of the streamer, putting them on mute and just throwing them up on the TV in hopes to get the loot. It's just like no, it's it's bad all the way around. Yeah, it's I'm, bad for the streamers too. It'll be a temporary boost in numbers that doesn't actually deal with any kind of uh, interaction. You know, so I agree. I think it's a very odd idea. I, I I get that it's an interesting idea, but it's also not entirely unique because we've seen other things start talking about this to an extent, right? We saw this, and it's I guess it's unique in that it's probably going to be one of the first games to actually do it. Uh, but Google Stadia has already talked about weird things like this, where watching certain people will get you a chance to get a certain item or pick up on their play state, so you can play the exact same situation as them. It does feel like streaming is getting much more in bed with, with gaming in a weird way that I don't necessarily know that I enjoy at the moment. Um, but we'll see. I think this one I'm pretty clear on that I think is an odd idea and I don't agree with it. Uh, I think the idea to potentially pick up a streamer's idea like Stadia is doing where say a streamer makes a, there's a game where you can create things and they make a perfect crazy jump or whatever. And they say, here, you can download my save file where I have it saved right before you make the jump. That way you can try and make the jump yourself and see if you're skilled enough to do it or whatever it is. Um, it's an interesting idea, but I'm still curious to see how well it works and, uh, and whatnot. But we'll move on to the next piece of news. Long in development Kickstarter game Bloodstained Ritual of the Night has finally been re-revealed with a new coat of paint, so to speak, and a release date to boot. So the new trailer showcases updated character models and improved visuals after feedback they got from the most recent beta. Uh, The game is now set to release on June 18th after multiple delays. But if you're interested at all in it and you're a big Castlevania fan, go check it out. See how you feel about it. Hopefully it'll tickle your fancy uh, and you'll have a great game to play i am definitely i was already interested in it i thought it looked good it looks even better now so we will see what happens june 18th is not too far away uh uh-uh. i still need to get the um uh curse of the moon mm-hmm. uh the 999 one uh for a switch oh it's on switch huh yep. it's on vita i've debated getting it on there and playing it yeah Makes sense. Yeah, I like those kind of games for portable as i said before so i'll probably end up picking up mm-hmm. bloodstain on the switch okay all right, let's see. Next up, and um, Saul, did you ever get around to it? We'll see in a second. But Final Fantasy fourteen Online is giving PS4 players the game's first major expansion, Heavensward, for free to players who own the Final Fantasy fourteen Starter Edition. So if you've been interested in the game or for some reason you started early and just went away because you didn't want to pay the money for the expansions, you can get in right now. The expansion's free until June 27th. So you got a big, big, big stipulation yeah. there. You cannot buy the Starter Edition on the store anymore. Really? Yeah. So you so you had to be grandfathered into this. Yes. Unless unless because for some reason the game the Sony detected I own the game. It I went to the Let's starter. Let's check because I don't own it. Start. Yeah, check. Yeah, because it, it said starter was unavailable for me because I I was going to see if I could download it digitally because I finally bought Dark Souls three digitally. So yeah. that's my last physical game I got to get rid of. All right. Let's see. We're gonna we're gonna test this right now and hear some Jeopardy music in the in between. Do 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 do. <laughs> No, but yeah, like it might have said that for me since I own the game or detected that, that I have played it. That's a good it, question. Yeah, and that I have. Uh, Let's see. But yeah, I just I didn't have didn't have enough reasoning um, to buy it for sixty. I think. Oh no, I did buy Shadowbringers. 
that's what I ended up having to do was I had to buy the Shadowbringers collection or whatever for sixty dollars. Tried to get an earring that I couldn't figure out how to redeem. I remember it that couldn't story. Even be redeemed. Uh, so I don't see Final Fantasy fourteen available. Interesting. Oh, he, yep, here it is for the starter edition. Yeah, it it's off? really dug down in there, but I can add it to my cart. Okay, what's the price on that? I'm curious. Nineteen ninety nine. Okay, yeah. So yeah, for twenty bucks, you can have that Heaven's Word, which is about. 60 hours. That's a lot of content. Yeah. I, I would say, like, if you want to experiment and make characters, do dungeons, all kinds of other things, yeah. Oh, well, that's an interesting idea. I didn't know if you ever got around to playing Heaven's Word, but I thought you did because you bought Shadowbringers. So I, did, I figured that you had to have had a character that was up and getting ready to the point where you could actually take place. Because a lot of these MMOs will have, do the thing where... I have level 60 character. No, what's the level max in this game? <laughs> Kiki, help me out here. I forgot. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. I think it's 70. And I think Shadowbringers makes it 80, but it might be 80 and Shadowbringers that's, makes it 100 or something. That That's relatively normal. But that's what I was going to get into is a lot of these MMOs, when they deal with expansions, a lot of it comes down to your character really doesn't benefit from the expansion unless you're at a point to where you can play the content. There's few examples of this that I think are um, exceptions to that. Like uh, if you play or if you picked up um, World of Warcraft Cataclysm, uh, it changed the whole game world regardless of where you were because of, it was like a, it's a new game world or whatever. Exactly. It was like post cataclysm. It's the whole point of the, of the uh, naming and setup and everything. Uh, but it changed the whole world from the way that th- certain uh, environments looked and everything. So it did have an effect on you, but you didn't get to play its content unless you were really up at the very end. For the most part, there was no real change to the rest of the game. Well, and like what I will say is that for those that are interested and you can get past MMO combat, which is not that bad in Final Fantasy XIV. It's actually pretty it's pretty well done. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV has a really, really cool story. It's honestly, it's way better than Final Fantasy XV's story. <laughs> it's way better than uh, other Final Fantasy stories. Um, I'm not going to say big ones, like 6, 7, 10, 12, stuff like that. But like, it's a, it's a really good JRPG story. Okay. All right, let's see. A couple more things. Uh, this one's pretty cool. From Software's partnership with Activision seems to have worked out well as Activision reveal in a recent financial call that sales for the game were, quote, better than expected, end quote, with the game breaking 2 million copies in 10 days. Uh, and that is uh, From Software's fastest selling game. That makes sense. Yeah. Congratulations to you, From They have Software. gotten better first 10 days with each uh, game they've released. Um, I remember how how weirded out Stahl and I both were when they showed Sekiro and immediately said Activision afterwards. Yeah. And we said, we what? Like, what? And I still haven't beat the game yet. Neither have I. Sad. I have yet even, to, I have yet to play the game since the last time that I talked about it on here is, is me playing it because I've been so inundated with other games, but I do plan to get back to it. I'm not selling or anything like that. So one of these days it will hit. Uh, In that same financial call, though, Activision stated that Call of Duty 2019, as they are being very coy on the name right now, was set to be or is set to be a game changer in many ways, with us likely learning about the game come E3. Now, this one's weird. How do you really... they, They said this before, and it's very interesting to me that they're willing to do this much because... Last time they said that they were going to be doing a huge change to the Call of Duty series, it was very much fought against. And this is also, the last time that they said that was when we were facing toward Infinity War. um, Or Infinity, Infinite Warfare? That's what it's called. Um, Infinity War. I'm sitting there thinking. Infinity Ward is the developer. Infinity War is the Avengers Avengers movie. movie. Um, Last time they said that was with the same developer that we're on now in the rotation. And... 
I'm curious as to what game changing for them means because uh, there's been a lot of rumors that I'm sure you've seen some of Saul uh, of that this is going to be a new Modern Warfare. It's going to be Modern Warfare Four or maybe even so. a new switch towards it. Which I think, if your idea is to go as different as you can from what Infinite Warfare did, then your idea would be to go back towards Modern Warfare so that you, if nothing else, you kind of pacify the group that really came to loving Call of Duty during the Modern Warfare time period? We did a really cool thing like where we went way far in the future and it was done pretty well and then we went way far in the back in World War II and it was done pretty well. We need to go back just to present day. Like yeah. there's stuff in Blackout that's not present day stuff. Like we just need to get rid of some of the future stuff in those games. See, I didn't know because Blackout's still Black Ops. So yeah. does it still deal with like uh, uh, to be fair, androids though, and stuff like that? Yeah, well, it doesn't to, really have a story. It does, but to be fair... Uh, Blackout 4 or Black Ops 4 is of course a sequel to 3 or whatever and then those games have always been a little bit more on the on the far-fetched side of warfare right because Black Ops 1 took place, place during like Vietnam right uh, something like that I mean I think parts of the story did I don't really remember it that well I think it really took place during like 2000 um, I know the majority of the game did but um, no but those games like Black Ops 2 had the drones. 1961 uh between 1961 and 1968 during the Cold War. So I thought for the first Where Black did the Ops, multiplayer take place then, I guess? I, no I must be thinking of the multiplayer. You might be thinking of, well, the multiplayer was the same apparently, but you might be no. thinking of Black Ops 2. Black no. Ops 2 was in the future. Black Ops, unless those, those guns are just that old that I thought they were recent guns. The FAMAS? I don't know. Weird. Um, I really thought Black Ops 1 had modern multiplayer. Um, I'm actually positive of that. Check into that real quick. But... Um, but yeah, Black Ops Two had um, had the drones. It had the little rover car uh, cars that blew up and stuff. Stuff that we don't really use in real life, yep. especially back in two thousand and like what eleven? Yeah, two thousand ten. But yeah, like those games, like they just need to calm down and like stop doing way off the wall kinds of stuff. Um, but yeah, look at the gun he's holding. That gun's not that old. I don't know, man. I don't know enough about guns. If I'm being dead honest with you. That doesn't look that new to me either. Maybe maybe it's just one of those things. It's like it's been that, that long. That truck definitely looks old. All this Man, looks old school it, to me. Did it actually take place then? I can't believe that if it did. It looks like it. They did a really good job on that game. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not a big Call of Duty fan. I didn't even play Black Ops 1. I just remember seeing the promotional stuff for it. It looked like it was during like Vietnam or the Cold War or something. So that's an interesting thing. I just, I'm kind of with you. I actually, I'm with you in the sense of, if if the whole goal is to just get back into doing what the majority of the fan base is liked, then just go back into something that people you know are going to like, like Modern Warfare, right? I really thought Infinite Warfare was the best Call of Duty game in recent time period, though I do think Black Ops 3 was also very good. Um, so I think, I mean, I would, t I would prefer them to lean more towards that uh, personally, but, you know, if, if it's not trying to bring in people who don't normally care for the franchise and it's really just trying to pacify the existing huge, huge group of fans that you know can continue to sell these games, then do what's going to make them happy. I actually thought about buying Black Ops 4 this weekend just because, like, I, like I, want, I want a game to play that's mindless, and even though those shooter games are not really mindless, but I want something that I can listen to something like a podcast But they're podcast reactionary, with. Yeah. yeah. You can listen to I can listen to a podcast with and then, yeah. and then play other things, and those the games lend really well to that. Okay. 
Uh, let's, let's see. Next thing up is after the early access release of Dreams, Media Molecule have stated that they are looking into wider accessibility options for its creative suite, including non-motion controls. Uh, so if anybody knows, right now it's all based around you moving the controller to control the MP or whatever the thing is called. Uh, I did play the beta. I don't. I didn't know that if you got into it or if you even tried or if you had any interest. I can't remember for Dreams, but uh, I did get into the beta and I did play it. Um, and I've not picked up early access yet. I might, depending on where things go down, because I don't mind the price or the weight. And there's some pretty cool stuff that people are making. Uh, but this is a good thing. Because one of the things that's going to be weird for a lot of people is not everybody's a big fan of when dealing with motion on any sense of the word. You got to think about you're doing sculpting via motion, which actually should feel natural, but some people are just going to not be able to handle the six axis in a way that's going to be minute enough to do that. And if there's a way for them to pull in other things, maybe even to the point of mouse and keyboard support for you to actually sit there with a mouse and sculpt with a mouse or anything else crazy that they might be able to do. I doubt that they'd be able to do anything further. It's probably about as much as you'd yeah, be able to do. Yeah, I would think so. Wouldn't like, it be great if um, on the creation side you could plug in like a tablet? I was going to say mouse and keyboard or a drawing tablet. Yeah. Drawing tablet would be the ideal thing for some of that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that's just not easy to do considering that you're on a console. I don't know enough about that, but it's a cool thing that they're looking into because it essentially means that more people will be able to more easily make a game and want to jump in. And that helps towards the success of the game once it actually fully releases. So good on them. Next thing up, Saul, we've talked about plenty of times. PS Plus games for May have been revealed and aren't in line with what we saw from the Eastern lineup that we talked about last week and thought may somewhat influence ours. But instead of those games, we actually are getting Overcooked and What Remains of Edith Finch as our two games for the month. Now, I think it's pretty okay to say that across the board, regardless of the fact that these are two good games, no real thing wrong with them. I love Overcooked, very good game. I haven't played What Remains of Edith Finch yet, but I met with a team and I liked the developer. Uh, and while I've been meaning to get to it, it is nice I get it for free. But these are very short games. They're very easy games. And it does go back into the idea of when we lost the other games, regardless of whether it was Sony's wording or not, and I really wish I, I would have thought to go back and really look at it, but there is obviously the perception that when you're cutting four other games for the month, that you're going to try and make sure that the two you have are a little bit bigger and more wide servicing. But this is also one month out of a full year. And while some people do pay for PS Plus month to month, I would be willing to bet majority of the people do it by three to three months. Um, just get on a year, by the way. To it's a so year. Much cheaper for it you. is. It's a ton cheaper. I, and I then you get to feel. Yeah. Or for this year, technically. Then you get to feel like these when you have one bad month nah, of the they, year. they still feel terrible. <laughs> they still do, but they don't feel as bad as, can you imagine you in your mind going, well, I'm paying for PS Plus this month. These I just paid $10. Past two months have been absolutely garbage. Like, no justifiable. What was last month again? Surge and Conan. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely garbage month games. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, even if they're bigger yeah, I mean, games. I mean, garbage. Conan's pretty new. I mean, okay, let me specify. Garbage deals. Yeah. They're games that go on sale so often that you can get them low Under, enough. Like, and, even Corey, who is a profound Undercooked fan, said that this is a bad deal this month. Overcooked. Overcooked. Undercooked. <laughs> Undertale. <laughs> I guess you could say that uh, this month is undercooked. <laughs> <laughs> If only you'd thought about that prior. Yeah. Um, Damn. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, it, it, I've noticed that it brought up a lot of people, including Justin uh, Rowe, uh, specifically we were talking about earlier. He mentioned that, you know, the perceived value for this is just all over the place. And actually, he did put a post over in the uh, Triangle Squared group on Facebook. So I'll pull that up. It goes back into something that Saul and I have already talked about. Uh, and that's the idea of being able to essentially tear your games out. 
uh, or tear your services out to make a, something that has a, a more of a compelling sense to it. Uh, so he brings back to that and talks about the fact that like right now, Xbox have announced that they're going to be doing Games Pass and Xbox Live together under one monthly cost of fourteen ninety nine. right? Awesome deal. Yeah, it is. And we talked about this. Like, even if you buy the sad version of uh, of Xbox, which I hate calling it literally that because literally well, the sad edition. It's not sad edition. It's technically people are just wanting it to be that. It's technically sad because there is. Oh, e. if you put yeah, but if you just say edition at the end, it'd be sad edition. Yeah, but why would you acronymize? I don't know what you said. That acronymize. That's not a word, but why would you use the acronyms for the first three? Like, why are you selective? And only that one? Yeah. yeah, it's like whenever you look at a card and it's the LE, it's like, okay, that stands for... But to be fair, wording gets weird on that, because if you buy it, they'll be like, well, do you want the LE edition? That means limited edition or, you know, or luxury edition. I've never edition. heard that. I've always heard version. So yeah. I'm calling you it, out. It well, would it, be the same version. I've never seen that, but I haven't bought as many cars either. So I'm trying to think. What is my car? It's the VE. Yeah, it's just the VE. It's not a VE edition. I guess that's the terminology of a salesman, man. But look, it, it, I get what you're saying. That it comes back down to all of this where in, in an ideal world, you could get these things set up in a much better way. And if you're looking at buying the Xbox All Digital Edition that they're doing, then what you can do with $14.99 a month is be able to buy a console and never technically have to buy a game ever if you don't want to at that price point. And that's a pretty palatable price point for most people. Can you imagine spending only $14.99 a month and being able to play every game that's on those things as well as multiplayer on them if there is multiplayer right you could essentially on an xbox one you could download the master chief collection and play the entirety of the halo thing storyline and multiplayer and never spend anything outside of that 14.99 yeah and like i mean right now it's on it's on uh special halo is on what's it called yeah uh games pass so yeah like if you went to the special 250 or 300 huh what is the discless one 250 or 300? Oh, 300. Okay, so yeah, it's still way overpriced. But if, if they were to launch it like what I was thinking, where it's a 199, which I think is a, an acceptable price, uh, or even 150. But yeah, like for, for $230 after Games Pass and taxes, you literally have like 15 to 20 games at least to play. I don't know how much is on 330, console. I guess is what you meant? Oh, I don't know how much is on console. I know it's on PC. Well, you were saying the Xbox One all digital. So I think you were, t- you were talking about the... Um, Oh, technically for here, like it'd be three thirty. Yeah, you said two hundred and thirty dollars. That that's what I was saying. If it was two hundred dollars, you got the twenty dollars. Yeah, hold up, the fifteen, so two thirty-five. You're not listening to me. Well, it's because I want to make sure the three hundred's right. Because I actually think I'm wrong. It's two forty-nine, so it's fifty dollars less than the three hundred dollar one that's current. That's what it was. Um, a lot of people wanted it to be one ninety-nine. That, I, yeah, if it was yeah. one ninety nine, that would have been the perfect. Like, I really think Microsoft they came out with a good idea and then they they misshot it terribly. But it also does include not even as part of Games Pass, just on the console, Minecraft, Sea of Thieves, and Forza Horizon Three, which is a little bit of a weird thing. And regardless, it's just because it's not that new uh, with a one terabyte hard drive. So um, in that situation, yeah, you're right though. And where he what he talks about is very similar to the things that we mentioned on that episode. PlayStation Plus, as it currently stands, $10 a month or $60 a year. PlayStation Premium, $20 a month or $179 a year for both PS Plus and PS Now. This would help now grow 
as it essentially includes PS Plus for free. And finally, PlayStation Platinum, $50 a month, but includes Plus Now in the basic tier for PS View. Uh, there wouldn't be a yearly option because I imagine some issues with TV networks agreeing to a yearly model. Perhaps Sony could include a 5 to 10% discount on pre-orders to sweeten the deal, as well as discounts on their merchandise store. Which is actually interesting. That ties back into one of the things that you were talking about where Amazon to you is something that goes and try and pull in all of its services under one umbrella, including giving discounts. So if you get Prime, and your only reason that you even want Prime is specifically because you want to get the two-day shipping. That's your main thing. Well, not only do you get that, you get Prime books, you get uh, you get Prime videos. You don't get books? I don't think you get books anymore. Really? It's, it's no longer Prime books, it's Kindle. Well, yeah, but I mean, I you thought that Kindle. was part of that. No. Really? Okay, well, I you, wish get, you did. You get Prime Video. Unless I'm wrong, somebody prove me wrong. But every time I try to go buy a book on Amazon, it's like Kindle version, nine ninety nine, and I'm signed in. So well, like, I think it's kind of like the video, right? Where not everything on Amazon Video is there for you to do, but there's some things that are included. That, now that Prime. might be the case. Yeah, I just yeah. I don't have the Kindle app. So yeah. I don't really. So anyway, you potentially get books. Of course, you get the Amazon Video stuff and what they have on there. You get the two day shipping. You also get uh, whenever you pre order games, and they might have discontinued this, but for a while you could pre order games and get money off if you pre ordered from Amazon. And that's a way to utilize Amazon's big buying power, which is a little different than what Sony's doing, but it would be a way for Sony to be able to try and pull that back into themselves uh, in an interesting way. So I think it comes back to being that PlayStation Plus is going to have to do something sooner rather than later to get most people back on the feeling of it's not undervalued. Uh, And eh, it's hard to say right now. And it also comes from... I wonder if Sony could change their wording to just be like, instead of making it feel like these games are such a part of it, at some point, it's just like, tell people that you're spending $60 specifically for online play, but that's not the way that their messaging is working out. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, and let's, like, I'm trying to figure out something because for a, um, uh. Really? Wow. Okay. So I was going to say, like, for an example, we can use Humble Bundle, which is a very similar service. You get, like, three to four games a month for $15 a month. And it's actually closer to the service of what PS Plus was or when it started. Yeah. Where with nothing to do with online play, you just spend a monthly fee and you get random games that hit throughout the month and you get them free or heavily discounted. You know what I mean? So there was six or eight games in May, nine games in April. And just off the couple of games that I'm seeing here, like, games like this is crazy. But, like, for May, you had Assassin's Creed Origins, Finding Paradise, which I've actually never heard of, Monster Prom, which I have heard of, Journey Down, Chapter 3, Do Not Feed the Monkeys. So, like, a couple of indie games. But you get Assassin's Creed Origin for those that are interested in that. For 15 bucks. For $15, yeah. And um, this month, they've only run build one game because they only avail them, like, one week at a time or, like, certain intervals. Yeah. I had I had the service for like six months. I don't even I still don't even know how they truly unveil things. Uh, but right now it's Call of Duty Blackout uh, Battle Royale mode. Black Ops. Oh, so it's specifically the Blackout part, and not the. Oh, red. Well, I don't know. Well, because the thing no, is, no, no, no. A Battle Edition is what it's called, and it includes multiplayer and Blackout modes. Zombies not included. Ah. Okay. So for forty bucks, that's a forty dollars value. You get that for fifteen dollars, and that's one of the the one game. Yeah, the rest of them. So you're already getting a a big steal on one game. And what's cool about this service, I actually should have done it, is if I would have thought about it, and I've thought about it since then when I I don't have this service anymore, um, is that, like, all the games you don't want, give away on Twitter. Yeah. Post, like, little just mini giveaways. Yeah, Uh, sure. They're PC games for the most part, but, you know, like, 
I wish Sony, and I know that this is a, a, a dream that will never be accomplished because this is too good of a deal for Sony to be able to get. This is this well, is and it bases off of computer, and, which loses a lot of things to pirating. So if yeah. anything, this is actually getting people to more likely buy a legit version of the game for some amount. And Humble also does a back end of some of this money goes towards charity, right? Yes. Um, so that's another thing too. That's where I got Sony Vegas. Uh, I got Sony Vegas. Uh, you could donate any amount. I think above seven dollars. I think is what it was, and you get it for free. And I donated uh, fifty. And then yeah. they gave me two keys. And I gave you one. So it's just yeah. like, it's one of those things. It's like, they have really good deals on here sometimes. And it's crazy because I know a lot of people who say like, Oh, it's not this bad of a month. Like there are other out there, are other features out there that get better given they have do, they have reasons why, but it's just like Sony could do something similar. You know, what's more interesting. Microsoft has a slow month too. Yeah, I don't even remember what the games were gold were, and I, I literally looked yesterday. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Is it, it was a, I noticed on both camps, I wonder if it's something to do with where this month lies ahead of E3, that they're not wanting to put certain games on there, because you know they always have their yearly E3 sale, and putting a game on for May that people end up getting for free is one less game that they might be able to put in that E3 sale. They did have um, the uh, some really cool deals on older games, but they had Star Wars uh, Lego Collection, yeah. the entirety of it, for like six ninety nine. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I almost actually bought that on PC. I was like, "That's that's actually sounds like a fun time." I still may do that today. <laughs> Give you something to play. Yeah, but yeah, that's one of those weirdly. Uh, I hope to see PS Plus be able to regain its stance with most of the people that are subscribed to it. Uh, and I'm also curious to see how many people are actually upset about it. I think regardless of that, I think it's clear to see that it could be a better value. But I wonder how much of it is just uh, being able to see people who are specifically talking about it online. But how many people that have the service that don't even have a Twitter or a Facebook or are that active on it, what are they, what are, like, where do they stand on this? And are we only seeing like a vocal minority that just makes it seem louder than it is? But at the same stance, I think it's clear to see that the game, it could be definitely more. It should be more to an extent. Uh, but you also got to be careful with expectations because they are using some of this for server costs now, whereas used to, like they gave you the new Tomb Raider back in 2013 when they started the new reboot series. Um, PlayStation Plus got it like three or th- three to six months after it came out. And I think it was close to three because I was like, that's already on here? That's insanity. You it's, know? it's rare we've gotten something like that in the past six months. Exactly. You I know, can't even think past the past year or two. There was Rocket those weird, was really cool. Exactly. There was those weird times where you'd get something like Rocket League, which is a brand new game that no one could have imagined how big it was going to be. Uh, and that was a great time and a great moment for PS Plus because it was kind of like you got it for free and you also kind of helped propel a game that was already going to do well because of it being fun. Uh, so it's hard to say, but it's uh, going to be better, hopefully, and we'll see what happens in the coming months. And maybe post E3, something will change. But next up, after announcing that the Toys to Life segment of the game was done, Starlink Battle for Atlas gets a significant content update in the way of its Crimson Moon expansion. The update is free and adds a new area to the game and more, Um, though there are some ships that are part of this thing that you can buy, and they're really expensive. So it gets kind of interesting on that. A lot of people complain about the ship prices in-game. So it doesn't really change from the fact that the Toys to Life at least gave you a physical item on top of you getting the ship in the game. So those are always cool things, but they always end up dying. So like I never get into them and and Atlas was one of the ones I really wanted to get into. It's such a cool idea. Those little ships. They all, they all look pretty good quality too. Like I was at target like a month ago and I saw the $70 version and it was marked down to 40. And I guess because of this, yeah, but I was like, this, this actually looks pretty cool. Yeah. 
All right, let's see. Next thing up, after a rough 2018, Sega announced uh, to refocus on existing IP and more PC ports to get themselves back on track after a year of market miscalculations, game delays, and too many games in development. Uh, so I guess this comes on the back of them having a lot of games that are new coming out. Uh, I wonder how well Judgment has even done for them when you're looking at a situation like that where it's a branching off of an existing IP, how much that has affected them. Do they consider that to be a new IP? Because technically it is, but it's also a spin off um but they had a pretty low year uh, and i'm curious as what they mean by more pc ports more pc ports of new games more pc ports of existing ip that they already have like are they going to bring games that uh just sonic unleashed is a game that is and i'm wrong i don't know that it's a great game necessarily i've never played it but it's a game that's not on pc it's not a good game so it comes down to like what games do they plan on bringing over to pc that are going to really save them but it's more curious to see that sega is kind of probably for the foreseeable future done with trying to take a lot of risk. So what we're probably going to see out of them more than anything is more Sonic, more persona and things like that. Um, things that we already expect. So more Yakuza, I'm sure. So if you love those franchises, they're not really, they don't seem to be in any kind of peril, but, um, if you wanted to see more out of Sega and kind of see more people do new IPs, that seems to be slowing down a little bit. Uh, last thing. Uh, and I think this one's pretty interesting. Kojima, announced that he and Norman Reedus were going to be at the Tribeca Film Festival on a panel uh, about the game, about how they met, and all these different questions, which seems like a weird place for them at a film festival. Not but, really, though, when you consider who's working with. That's the only reason that I'm like, okay, but it's still a game. But also, I think at some point, Kojima just kind of transcends. Not, uh, I don't think that's fair. I think if you ask people who are outside of gaming who Kojima is, they don't know who, K who Kojima is. Why would they? You know what I mean? It's not like I can go, hey, mom, you know who Hideo Kojima is? You know? But either way, it is. it was a weird spot to me, but I guess because Norman Reedus, it, it works out. But he did give some cryptic and light info on Death Stranding. He mentions that the protagonist, Sam, has lots, quote, lots of cool toys, end quote, which is funny. Uh, and this is all coming from, this was not live streamed, but there were, uh, there was a specific, oh, I wish I had kept it up. There was a specific user on Twitter who kind of did a, a recap of everything that was being said. Uh, and it was a verified user. So I'm sure that it's all relatively true, but you can take it with a grain of salt if you want to. Um, so that was one of the quotes. He talks about how he wants to invest players in the game emotionally by giving them the, the ability to make choices, which if there's anything I know about that, that does not always work, but hopefully for him, it does work for him. Uh, there's a moment where we were talking about in the discord the other day. Um, where Days Gone originally had decision-making in it, and they decided to take it out. I'm glad, because then that game would have been a mess. There's one decision still left in the game that is so minute and minor and stupid, it just feels like, why? Realistically. And it happens at a point where you don't have as much reason to know from one thing or the other what the effect is going to be, but definitely later. Intentionally? I don't know, man. It feels weird too because it, it feels even more weird being the only decision yeah, in the whole game. Yeah, that's that's that's. Uh, it's I wish it was taken out completely. Uh, but originally, and this is something that was interesting about Days Gone. They originally had it set up to where when they were playtesting it, people didn't like Deacon for the first twenty hours, and a lot of that came down, or, or something like that. But a lot of that came down to decision making. So you didn't even have a. a there wasn't a clear cut of who Deacon was, but if you cut the decision stuff out and you let, even if Deacon's a hard ass, you at least understand what he is. And then when they start using these, uh, 
throwback flashback scenes, you start to understand why he is the way he is now in the modern day. And that helps account for some of the stuff that is going on in the game. So now they've been able to get where most people seem to like Deacon by the end of the first act, which is not bad. It, it's it, he's still it's still rough, and I think that he for the most part it could be better, but. He's just a biker chat. It goes back into the idea, though, when you think about this. I don't necessarily think that choices emotionally invest people in a game. I, I, I think that it can work, and I think there's been examples of that. One example, very great, and I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but uh, toward the end of Infamous 1, uh, I'd even say Infamous 2's uh, choice that it gives you, um, is a little less emotionally pulling, but it's still there. But the infamous one, I think, did a great job with giving you a choice to make that actually had emotional resonance with you of like why you would choose to do one versus the other, and then it twists again. It's it's so great. Um, nice old Republic games. Yeah, some some games have the ability to pull it off, but I think more often than not, the way that you emotionally invest characters is by not giving you necessarily choices to make that are big to the thing. I think you can get people emotionally invested by giving them gameplay choices that affect gameplay and just start to make you feel more connected with the character. Even if it's just on a play level where you start to feel like, okay, me working as this character have done this. So you start to build a rapport with a character to an extent. Right. And that's how you can kind of build that up. Or you can build an emotional resonance of the character by just writing a good character. Cause what I've found is that even characters that I normally would not think are, are in something that's a basis around something I'm interested in. Days Gone being a perfect example. I have no interest in motorcycles or not uh, motorcycle gangs proper. And that's what this whole thing is about. But what you can do in a situation like that, right? If it's, if it's written well enough, you can say, well, maybe I'm not in the motorcycle gangs, right? But what I find that is in the motorcycle game that I can extract and actually pull my own life experience to is that the whole point of a motorcycle gang is to be a family. Uh, outside of your family. And a lot of people go towards stuff like that when you look at it from what they show. It's like people go towards that when they don't feel like they have family elsewhere. So then you can kind of go, okay, have I been in a situation where I felt like I had family that was outside of my real family? And regardless of what we were doing, that's what going on. So you go, okay, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm going to attach to. So now regardless of what the, the actual nature of what's going on is from it being biker things, I know that a lot of it goes towards the, you are affecting what he considered to be a family. And that's why he still has all these things. You can, you can build these character things without having to make it be that you're making choices. You can do it by writing a character well and letting people find their own ways from a well-written character to attach themselves to it emotionally and find whatever it is that will drive them. Um, but a couple other things that were going on. He talks about the open nature of the game in regard to the ability to make choices. Uh, Redis mentions one thing that I think a lot of people have been curious about. It's a Kojima game, so you expect combat of some nature, and he's even talked about it, but we haven't seen anything other than like the escorting that happened at the most recent gameplay reveal that we saw. Redis mentions the violent aspects of the game, but says it goes much deeper than just a straight-up game where you kill. It's being too cryptic. I will Way too smack cryptic. them both. Unless this game is my game of the year and it comes out in three months <laughs> and they reveal everything at E3 2019. Well, here's your thing. Lastly, he teased a new reveal in about a month, quote, maybe. Where would they reveal that at? I don't know. That's a really big thing. Could it get its own thing? Could it, could it be in the next state of play? Well, could rumor, it be? There's a rumor that there's going to be a state of play the week before E3 in June. Yeah. So. Which, how do you quell people going, well, Sony wasn't E3? Well, they showed some new stuff. Before E3. Bam. It has to be good enough, too, to replace E3. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to happen. I know. I'm just saying. That's why, in my mind, to make these state of play worth it. Yeah. Well, 
the thing is, is that wouldn't you view it differently? So like if that is the venue they choose to show this at, right? Wouldn't you view it differently than if they actually did set up all this stuff and hyped up an E3 specifically just to give you the release date for Death Stranding, Last of Us, and, and um, Ghost of Tsushima? No, but I think that if they plan well better in the next generation that they will have to do this. Probably. This which does is, seem to be like a shift of all of their games taking longer to make. Days Gone took five years to make, uh, which is a lot of people think is a long time, or I guess six years to make, but still. Not really in game development. That's for really a, not. That's not. Tri- Horizon uh, took about five years. A triple A first party. I kind of want to say double A at this yeah, point. Yeah, for that, I don't know. That's a, I think it was aiming to be triple A, whether it has hit the mark or not. I don't, I don't but I think it. when you look at the game like that, yeah, I think it's definitely there. And the thing about Horizon, though, I think that gets people differently is that Horizon took about five years to make, but they also released Kills on Shadowfall in that, in that in-between. That's they true. had a second team. So and it's like... Ben hasn't done nothing. Exactly. Ben hasn't Cyber done anything Golden. since... Uh, Bubsy 3D. <laughs> Since Uncharted, Golden Abyss, uh, and I guess technically the Fight for Fortune card game, I think that they did. So, in that sense, we will see what ends up happening, but hope this episode has been pretty fun for y'all. I know it's a little different, uh, and hopefully next week we'll come back with something that can be a little more topical and uh, and more fun. But you know what? I think this was a good break and a change of pace, which we also had a little bit of last week. So let us know how you've liked these last few episodes, uh, and I'll figure out what I want the question to let be. Let us know what you're excited for at E3. Well, there you go. That's going to be the community question. What do you think is going to happen at E3 that you'll be excited for? Yeah, we're moving to that time where we start predicting E3, even though Sony won't be there. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what Sad happens. Sad year. Doesn't mean Sony won't be there at all. They'll be there in spirit by all the other publishers that are saying, hey, we have multi-platform games. But- I guess you could technically say Xbox won this E3 yet again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, until next time, this has been Triangle Squared. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thanks to our patrons. We have a new one this week. Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Blake Popst, Eduardo Palomino, Stephen Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Justin Rowe, William Digital Spooker, and Derek Porter. If you would like to support us, do so by going to patreon.com slash nartech. Thank you.